0: Love you guys. Again, uh, lighting will be a little bit different here in the room tonight. Uh, so thanks again for your grace. Literally, the building struck by lightning. Uh, we saw a massive flash. Amron's come out, and uh, he said, well, we can either shut her down for the whole night or fix it in the morning, and we said we would make, uh, make do, and I think we're doing more than that. It's awesome to have you guys here. So I want to start by um, taking you back to... A high school exam, which I know brings uh, some vomitous feelings for some of you, but I want to ask a three multiple-choice questions. Uh, you will align, my guess would be, with one of the answers to this, and uh, by applause, we'll figure out where everyone stands, okay? So let's ask our first multiple-choice question. Here we go. How many times a day do you shower, okay? Okay. Uh, a, multiple times, B, once a day, C, when I smell, and D, shower, overrated, okay? So uh, just, just by applause, it's going to be a little tough to see. How many of you fall in the A category multiple times a day? Not many of us. I don't know how we should feel about that. I'm definitely an A, okay? If I don't shower three times in a day, it's a bad day. Uh, B, how many of you are one-a-dayers, okay? Wow. Not not bad. And, and how about the C when I smell? How many of you get? There was a lot of females on that one. A lot of, a lot of females. Now, I'm really anxious to, to hear about this one, all right? Shower overrated. Who's in that category of people? All right. I wish we could see you so that we could talk with you a moment, but anyone who just cheered uh, the folks sitting next to them, I, I do apologize in advance, especially if they're not family members or friends, okay? but. Thankful you for your honesty there. How about this next question? This is interesting. How often do you wash your car? A, at least once a week. B, once a month. C, when it rains. Okay. Uh, <laughs> some of you guys got a good wash in today. So how, how many uh, how many fall in the A category, at least once a week? I mean, you love. Really? I mean, to me, there there is almost nothing better than a washed car. Okay, love it. How many of you are in the once a month category? Oh my goodness! When it rains, oh, horrible caretakers, bad stewards. It's biblical, Okay. Now I'm really, really interested in uh, in our third question here. How much time a day do you spend on your appearance—hair, clothes, makeup, etc.? A. Hey, less than thirty minutes. B, at least an hour. C, don't ask, don't tell, okay? I'm giving you a seers and outs, you know, because some of you may fall in the two to three hour category. How many of you, it's less than 30 minutes a day you spend on your appearance? Wow. Wow. A lot of of proud folks about that, okay? Uh, B, how many people spend at least an hour? The stats say that 78% of females spend at least an hour, at least an hour, okay? I'm not saying that's all of you, but that's what stats would say. Anyone like don't ask, don't tell category, like it, it takes a while. <laughs> all right. <laughs> They're all like sitting together back there, okay? Now, I, I want to I wanna show you something that I think maybe you'll find helpful. Next slide, okay? Uh, let's look at it this way. If you spend 35 minutes a day, so I was figuring the, uh, the average woman spends an hour, uh, 78% of women. I figured most dudes uh, spend a little bit less than that. So if we merged them and said, if you spend 35 minutes a day on your appearance, next slide, that would equal this, 12,770 minutes a year, which equivocates, next slide, to 8.9 days a year. Now, what's really, really, really interesting, really interesting, next slide, is this fact. By the time we are 41 years old, we have spent an entire year on our appearance if we spend 35 minutes a day, an entire year on our physical outside appearance, and I'm really not even counting in that working out, okay, because if it's working out, I mean, I spend at least four hours a day, all right, and I know many of you guys are the same, I don't know why you're laughing, okay? I don't know why you're laughing. That hurts my feelings. I do have feelings, okay? (laughs) By the time you're 41, so again, all the mathematicians in the room can do the math. If you're 82, that's two whole years of your life on outward appearance. Now, listen, I'm not going to claim that tonight might be one of the um, strangest passages that we'll study together uh, because it is. It's interesting. It's odd. It's unique. But I think what the Lord has for us in it will help us understand the significance of statements like that. We spend a whole lot of time on our outward appearance and the impact and effect of that goes well beyond our physical. And so that said, I want you guys to open your Bibles or turn in your phones if you can't see to Joshua chapter 5. The subtitle is The New Generation circumcised, okay? It's going to be an interesting evening. we got nine verses to study. This is a, a famous, familiar text, uh, but one that will certainly um, be, a, be an interesting evening for us. So Joshua chapter 5. Let's start here in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 5. As soon as all the king of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the, to the west... And all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people. This is where we've been. So much love, Jared's heart, last week in sharing with us. We've just watched the nation of Israel come up to the precipice of the Jordan. We then watched God stop up the waters. We then watched 1.5 to 2.5 million Jews cross the Jordan. Now they're on the other side. So what the scripture says is when these kings, when these rulers who are on the west side of the Jordan River. Cue the map real quick. I just want to highlight this so you know who we're talking about. The Jordan River is right there on the right side. We're, we're looking at the kings and the rulers that are in that box. Okay. Now, next slide, back to the verse. When they heard of this, when they heard that the, Isra- uh, that the Israelites had crossed over, the Scripture says that their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Uh, they hear what God has done. They hear about the stopping of the river. And literally, uh, their heart, Scripture says, we're melting. Normally, this is a romantic term. This is a, a titanic, you know, romance kind of picture. Oh, Jack, my heart is melting in your arms of love. This is not that kind of melting. Uh, this is a melting in fear. This is a melting in the fear of their lives and the fear of the, the death of their people. So, I want to make a statement in light of that. Next slide. Let's say it this way God's power causes you to run. The question is, in which direction? When we see God's power, which is on display all of the time in our life and the lives around us, it causes us either to run to the Lord in praise of the display and the consistency of His power, or it causes us to run from it in fear that we'll get caught up in it. This is why we say all the the time, listen, there's only two categories of people in the entire world, those who are followers of the Lord and those who aren't. Those who in displays of God's power would run to them, and those who in displays of God's power would run from them. And in this case, the kings, the rulers in that box, in fear of what God will do to them, uh, are running and melting away. Verse 2, unbelievably interesting. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Excuse me. Okay. Excuse me. Right. This, this, is, this is just an odd situation. It's odd for many reasons, but let's just go ahead and, and save the elephant in the room. Like, they've just got on the other side of the Jordan, and they're ready for conquest. They're in the promised land. They're going to inherit this land. I mean, it's theirs. And then God makes the seemingly odd request, make flint knives, circumcise the sons of Israel, but not just that, do it a second time, which there's a whole lot of explaining that we need to do in light of this. So, I want to help us a little bit by highlighting the three things that we're going to walk through, okay? (laughs) Let's begin with a flint knife. Next slide. Cue the slide. Okay, this is a flint knife, an ancient flint knife, okay? This isn't Mercy Hospital's procedural tool, okay? Uh, We've seen the use of a flint knife before, um... This is probably obsidian stone, which was a, a common stone of the day. Uh, it was the, the common tool uh, in some of these, uh, even in other lands, religious or practical uh, rites. But the flint knife was going to be the tool in the situation for, uh, no other way to say it, this mass circumcision. Okay. But next slide, I want to deal with the next highlight. And that's the understanding of circumcise. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to go into uh, the fullness uh, of the procedure itself. But I will tell you this, that um, circumcision wasn't created by the Israelites. Uh, the Egyptians were practicing circumcision. Uh, they would do it often later in life, in, in puberty. Okay, But the Israelites, and specifically the Lord use circumcision as a powerful symbol. And I want to go back to to Genesis to show you the powerful symbol in Genesis 17. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, look at this, every male among you, shall be circumcised. Now the covenant is with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, his sons, and all the Israelites that would come after. And so what God is saying is uh, circumcision is going to be a part of the covenant. Verse 11. Uh, back last slide, please. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Different than the Egyptians, the Israelites would go on the eighth day to be circumcised. I was talking with a friend earlier, okay, uh, who shared that they actually did this for their son, waited to the eighth day to, to have some, you know, Old Testament biblical roots. Pretty cool stuff. Next slide, verse 13, or verse 14, actually. Here's how the scripture ends. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people... He has broken my covenant. So, in other words, circumcision is not just a medical procedure. Circumcision for the Israelites carries with it tremendous weight. Here's the definition let's say it this way circumcision was a physical symbol of the covenantal relationship between God and the Israelites. And because it was a patriarchal nation, the males, in this case, represented the covenantal relationship between a family and the Lord. Okay. So circumcision was used for the males. But, but now let's deal, a uh, next slide, with the final component here a second time. Okay? Um, I know there's, my guess is, a lot of thoughts going on in your mind a second time is not pointing to a, for lack of a better term, a recircumcision, as it were. A second time is referring to what we're getting ready to see that there is a nation or a group of people that have died off and because of their disobedience it left sons who have yet to be circumcised. We'll see in detail here in a second. So just to clarify, a second time isn't a recircumcision, but rather the first time for a new group of people. So, what happens? What does Joshua do with this odd request? Verse 3. So, Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gebirth Heroth, which literally means hill of foreskins. True story. That's what it means, okay? Okay. If you look in the subtitle of your Bible, it's what it says, all right? Why? Because this was a, a massive circumcision, okay? I'm struck, though, in verse three, by the quick obedience of John. Like, he, I'm imagining all kinds of things. Like, like Lord, are you sure? Uh, is this really necessary? Jericho is close. Like, like Lord, like we, we got we got some like fighting and warrior ismdom to do. You know, like we're here, God. We're ready. Forty thousand fighting men have gone on before. Like. Like, God, why this? Why is he so immediate in his obedience? And why aren't we? He commands an odd request, and Joshua immediately answers it. Uh, Which begs the question, what in the world is happening in our heart that would cause us to be distant from immediate obedience? So let me just give you one example. Let me just give you one example. Next slide in Luke. Look at this. Gospel of Luke. What if we immediately obeyed this seeing obedience as a gift but i say to you who hear, love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you what if we weren't like god yeah but you don't know my situation god yeah but uh, you know you really don't understand the fullness of how i've been hurt god That's a great command, I'm sure that's nice for some of my brethren or my sister-in, but this isn't for me. Wouldn't it be awesome if in a different version of maybe the modern scripture, it would say this, just after this command, next slide, so the people of Matthias' lot loved their enemies and did good to those who hated them. It would be unbelievable if that could be said of us. Joshua's commanded a strange, hard, difficult command. He instantly obeys. It would be amazing if this could be asked of us and then just instantaneously we would say, "Of course, Lord. We have no one else to follow and nothing else to do. Uh, of course, there are no other options but following you because we know that in the love and the care and the prayer for our enemies, there we will find life and joy." Next slide. Let's say it this way, what holds us back from immediate Obedience, Immediate. Is it the fear that maybe you don't know what God's calling you to do? Could it be more clear, friends? I think that the majority of us, when we think about obedience, we think about the specific commands that God has for us. Move over here. Go to this school. Take this job. But what if we just said, all right, Lord, like, Let's, let's put aside the specifics for a second. God, just help us immediately obey the general commands for every believer that are in your word. I'm telling you right now, we can either balk in the face of the Lord who has gifted us with commands, even at times that seem counter-everything, like loving our enemies, or we can embrace them. And in embracing them, there is so much life and joy. And Joshua embraces it. Uh, Just so we're all on the same page, uh, this most likely wasn't just Joshua. I'm sure there were others empowered. Okay, it would have been a very, very long day. All right? Let's look at verse 4 and 5 collectively now. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Okay? we just mentioning this a minute ago. Verse 5. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. This is affirming our theory that this isn't a re-circumcision. I want to show you the scripture To impact this, next slide, look at this in Numbers 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? The nation of Israel has just come out of Egypt. And the Lord now is saying to Moses and Aaron, "What, what is going on with this people? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me, say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you, which is not necessarily a statement you want to hear from the Lord. Okay, Next slide. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. Over 400 years of slavery in Egypt, 40 in the wilderness. And what God is saying is an entire generation is going to die out there because of their disobedience. And of all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, anyone who's 20 and above, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, and Joshua, as we've seen many times in Joshua, the son of Nun. Next slide. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. The reason for the circumcision is that this new generation of Israelites who weren't practicing the symbol of circumcision in the wilderness will now get to embrace Yet again, the symbol of the covenantal relationship of God. Why? Because God keeps his promises. When God makes a covenant, he will always fulfill it. He told Abram, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great. And even though ancestors of his died off in the wilderness, a new generation, a new generation, their children, will get to inherit the land. And so this circumcision of that new generation, I want you to understand this. Even though it seems like a weird, odd, biblical moment, it is so unbelievably beautiful because God in this symbol is reminding his people of his promises. And I'm here to tell you today, listen, my friend. God is showing you all around you all the time how he continues to fulfill promises, the very fact that you can call on his name in prayer and that you can sing out his name in worship and that you can call on his name in praise is truth in and of itself that he has kept his promises, that he has remained merciful and gracious when he should have killed every single one of us at the mere thought of one sin. But he's been gracious. He's given us breath and life. And again, I know it seems like an odd story, but my friends, this is insanely beautiful. So, verse 6, hello. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that we just saw in Numbers, that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. And I've kind of joked about the milk and honey before, but The more I think about it, like when you start thinking about livestock and all the the pictures of abundance for a nation like this, milk and honey certainly would have been poignant. Verse 7, this is awesome. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Their children. Parents in the room, two weeks ago, I had a chance to talk with you. If you don't mind, I'd like to share with you again. I'm uh, almost 100% convinced there is nothing more difficult on the face of the planet than parenting children. Can I, anyone want to agree or amen or give some, okay, little something, something to that? Thank you. They're, um, they're so dang cute on one side. Right? Like, you just want to hug them all the time and love them all the time and, you know, sit with them and cuddle them. And then in the very next moment, like, it, it, like anger that you didn't even know was in you, like, starts to rise up. Right? We had, uh, a couple days ago, we had a snake uh, that was uh, in our driveway. Okay? And, and you guys know when you have young kids, when there's a snake in the driveway, it's go time. Right? All hands on deck. Everyone's coming out. I'm trying to act strong, you know, and so I'm like, you know, batting it around and stuff, right? Well, then I look over in the garage, and Dawson and Maddox have gotten large black bats out, okay? And, and I mean, they're, they're ready to club this bat, right? What happens is this snake, in fear of these blonde-headed monsters that are coming at them, the snake goes into the little, like, window, uh, of my neighbor, you know, like it sinks down in the basement, you can kind of like a little crawl space. And so here's what happens my sons, not thinking it all the way through, they're like throwing this bat at this snake as it's crawling around, like hitting the window, right? And so I say, son, please stop hitting the window with the bat, you know? And he, I mean, just continues, right? Like bat, bat, you know? And he, you know, accidentally swings and hits it one time, the snake kind of slithers, and then he gets super fired up, and he's, you know, Dawson, please stop swinging the bat. I mean, I'm saying it six, seven times. A half an hour ago, I'm like hugging on my son, and in that moment, I just want to pick him up and throw him in the hole with the snake and see what happens. Right? Now we'll see who's tough, right? Parenting is unbelievably difficult, but, but I do not want our children... 30, 40, 50 years from now, to talk about their parents in such a way that would communicate that my parents did not take me to the person of Christ. They essentially, in so many words, could have died out there in the desert in their disobedience. And a new generation had to be raised up. Say it ain't so about our children. May we parents, as scary as it is, as hard as it is to parent, may we do the hard work of not trying to shape their behavior, but care and shepherd their heart by taking them to the person of Christ. God says, but my friends, we must take them to the person of Christ. And and I hope and pray that my kids don't look back and say, oh, yeah, well, my daddy, you know, on one side was passionate about the Lord, but really you should have saw him at home. I pray that my kids don't say that about me. And I pray that for you as well. Instead, a celebration of the generations. My mom and my dad or my mom or my dad raised me in such a way where I saw them praise the Lord consistently. I saw them on their face. I caught them worshiping the Lord. Unfortunately for these kids, they're not having to be circumcised for the first time because of the disobedience of their parents. And I pray, I pray that our kids get to hear us confess sin and learn from repentance instead of continuing some of the patterns that we've set. Verse 8, though, is crazy interesting. Look at this when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, that's right, okay, they remained in their places in the camp, what does the scripture say there? Until they were what? Does this strike anyone as odd? Jericho is on the horizon. They are in hostile territory. And some may say, listen, uh, they're not in hostile territory because the kings are, their hearts are melting. What do you mean hostile territory? There's no hostile territory. I beg to differ. Like, like sometimes if your heart is melting and you see your en- enemy vulnerable, it's time to attack. It's not just that, that God would call Joshua to circumcise an entire nation. It's that he would do it in vulnerable territory where it takes days to heal when they're getting ready for battle. Are you kidding me? This is crazy. And not the first time. In Genesis chapter 34, can I tell you a really interesting story? Thank you. Um, There was this woman named Dinah. Okay. What happens is, she's the daughter of Jacob, is Shechem ends up defiling Dinah. And Shechem, who isn't a Jew... Okay, is a Hivite, comes and shares with all of Jacob's sons that he wants to make a trade for Dinah. He really is into Dinah, even though he's just defiled her. He's he's taken her in, okay, didn't ask permission to do so. He's so taken aback by Dinah that he ends up saying, hey, listen, Jacob's sons, this has happened, yes, but let's make a trade. Well, Jacob's sons are fuming about this. And so they deceive uh, Shechem. They say, sure, no problem. We'll make a trade. We'll give you our daughters, in this case our sister. You give us yours. But the only thing that you have to do is we're not going to do that unless you get circumcised. Genesis 34, read it later for entertainment. It's an interesting story. Okay. So what happens is Shechem's like, sweet, he's in love. You guys know you do crazy things when you're in love, right? No problem. He goes back to all of his Hivites. Hey, listen, we've got to do one thing to get all these daughters. We've got to get circumcised. And I can picture some dudes like, say what? Let's just roll it. Let's roll it. Just go with it. Love causes you to do crazy things. While all the males were healing, Jacob's sons, true story, come in with a sword and start slicing and dicing, and the scripture says they kill all the males. So if you don't think that circumcision puts you in a vulnerable position, it obviously does. And now you have the whole whole nation of Israel waiting in vulnerability. But in an insane place of trust. Isn't it true that some of the times that you felt the most vulnerable, the most exposed, uh, the most not backed up, have been the times that you've learned the most about what it really means to trust in the Lord. Uh, The times where you felt like you were on the cusp where it could all go awry. And in that precise moment, it was when all of a sudden you learned something about the trust of the Lord that you would never, ever, ever want to replace. This is that moment. It's a defining moment for the Israelites. They answer the bell and now... They're healing. But verse 9, I think, encapsulates this whole story. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Here's what the Lord says to Joshua. All of the past from Egypt... All of the slavery, all of the ridicule, all of the condemnation, all of the things that the past represents today in this covenant, I have symbolized the rolling back of all of that, of all that reproach. Today, the Lord is saying it's a new day. And I know many of you guys, right now, in this moment, are like, okay, Mark, this is this is really, really nice. I'm thankful to have learned this story. Uh, I now will be able to answer some Bible trivia questions, uh, because certainly this is in some Bible trivia. What does it mean for us? If you don't mind, I'd like to share with you. Because if you came here tonight, if you've been listening to this, and you think that somehow this isn't for you and I, right now it's time to wake up. The ancient understanding, again, of circumcision is this. Next slide. Circumcision was a physical symbol of the covenantal relationship between God and the Israelites. But hello, look at this. Check this out. Next slide. In the New Testament, Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, now why would this be important in the New Testament? Because what happened is, after Jesus comes, people then still believe, after his death and resurrection, that you have to still be circumcised to be a part of the covenant. Do you guys understand? That there's still something physical that has to occur to be claimed with the covenantal people. But, next slide, hello, check this out in Philippians 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who what? Come on, what? Mutilate the flesh. Do just what we were just talking about. For we are the circumcision. How about that statement tonight, right? Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put what? Come on, what? No confidence in the flesh. Everything in the old covenant... Symbolic in the flesh to set up what the Lord would do through his son Jesus in breaking down the wall of hostility and giving us a covenantal relationship that doesn't need a physical symbol. Are we together? It needs something else. Next slide. Beautiful stuff in Romans 2. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of what? Come on. It's a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, the Israelites in the Old Covenant, the symbol of their relationship and covenantal symbol was circumcision. But now, instead of the rolling back of physical skin, now what God has done in his son Jesus is roll back the hardness of heart, roll back the sin and save us. For by grace we have been saved through faith. There is a new covenant. And next slide, let's say it and phrase it this way. The new covenant is not characterized By an appearance change, but a heart change. But why do we extend so much effort to make sure we fix our appearance? To give an image of covenantal relationship when the heart remains hard. You see, as much time as we spend on the physical appearance to look nice, I want to contend to you, church, that those who claim to be followers of Christ spend way more time working on the outward appearance that those who see us might say of us and think of us oh, they are a covenantal people, they're God followers. They've shined it up nice. They work hard at smiling when they're supposed to. They go to great effort at giving enough confession to be called humble. They extend enough love and grace to be relational. When all the while hiding, hiding behind masks hiding behind a past that if others were to find out, you would fear, that you would be shunned, hiding behind this facade. And for the majority of us who struggle with this, you know how exhausting it is to try to portray in the physical that God has done something while in the heart remaining distant from the Lord. Jesus addressed this in a very, very direct way. Next slide. When he says this in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee first Clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Church, my brothers and sisters, the power of the new covenant is that we are changed from the inside out. And the effort and the work that we put into making sure we give off semblances of health, could be completely gone as we rest in the fact that it is the heart that God has changed. It is the heart that God continues to sanctify and grow. It is the heart that he holds in the palm of his hands. And yet here we are. By the time we're 41 in the faith, having spent three years, four years, five years worth of effort putting on something, So that others would say of us, oh, they must be holy. For what? What does it profit you if people think somehow that you have it all together or that somehow you don't struggle with this? What profit is it to you? A disingenuine relationship? Something that doesn't get to celebrate God's grace? Do you see what self-righteousness promotes? Self righteousness promotes a culture of people who don't need Jesus. They can just gather, live in the physical, physical symbols that give off some understanding of faith, and ultimately never needing Christ. I don't need the new covenant, Lord. I'm still living in the old. I'm doing just fine. I wear the mask. what does it look like tonight in celebration of what Christ has done in the new covenant? What does it look like tonight to come out? Some of you have been deeply struggling. Some of you have been wrestling with things that you've never told anyone. Some of you are in a place right now in your relationship with the Lord that is so, so distant. And you have been so unbelievably fearful of raising your hand and saying, I need help, body of Christ. Our marriage is in, a, in an abysmal place. I'm completely addicted to this vice or that. I'm so distant from the Lord, I, I don't even know how to talk to him anymore. Brothers and sisters, listen. Why? Why would you hide it? One more minute. The Lord already knows every facet of your heart. It's the power of the new covenant. He knows everything about you and yet somehow still offers grace and mercy though you deserve and I deserve death. Church, one of the things that we're so passionate about here is that people can raise their hands and not have stones thrown at them. Is that people can confess sin And desire to walk in repentance is that people can confess what seems to be the hardest things to confess. One of the things we cherish in this body is that we can do that together. So my friends, why? You go home even from nights like this exhausted. I shook a few hands. I smiled at a few faces. I was able to get in and out of there. No one asked me a real question, but why? To what end? the power of the old covenant and the symbol of circumcision was to show you and I hundreds of years later the power of what the gospel has done. It has exposed our heart. And in the exposing and the revealing of our heart to the power of Christ has changed it, has softened it, has made us more like the person Of Christ. I'm imagining 30, 40, 50, 60 of you that have been holding stuff inside in fear of giving off a wrong physical impression. I'm picturing you tonight, right now, first crying out for help to the Lord. Lord, I'm exhausted. Lord, I'm tired of portraying something that I know I'm not. God, please change my heart. And what I'm picturing physically is shackles coming off. I'm picturing that no longer is this verse and statement about you. I'm picturing it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I'm picturing all of a sudden the joy that comes maybe even in just the beginning of the process of repentance for you. What does it look like tonight to cry out for help? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. So, um, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. Um, It's a litany of things. There's a litany of reasons. But right now, if you're like, I'm in desperate need of help. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. But I'm holding things in, and I desperately need the help of the Lord. and ask you to be bold tonight, not so that others can look at you, but so that others can pray for you specifically. We believe in the power of prayer here. If that's you here tonight, and you're just like, I'm distant, I'm struggling, I don't know what to do, just raise your hand in boldness. There's a courageous move, I understand. Those of you that see hands around you, could you just kind of extend a hand to them? Maybe even put a hand on them And we're going to spend right now a couple minutes praying in power, praying in power that God would change their heart. So if you see some folks around you right now, come on. Pray it out in power over these people. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. We need you. Just stay Seafoam Please want to change God. Yes, bring freedom Bring freedom Father. Bring freedom God, free the captives tonight Free those, Lord, who have been putting on the the face of joy or righteousness. Free those, God, who are entangled in copious amounts of sin that have gone unconfessed. God, free the captives tonight. Loose the bondage of sin. We thank You, Lord, that in the new covenant You have done a work in our hearts. We thank You, God, that it is grace... That wins the day, that love wins the day, not our sin. So, Lord, I pray now that you would change us from the inside out, that you would grab us and mold us, that we would be a church and a body that wouldn't clean the outside to portray self righteousness. God, help us need you, Lord. And so, Father, now for those people that even I pray and power are sensing. A freedom, I ask God that you would put praise on their lips. Put praise on their hearts. And together as a body, that we would say, you have done the work of changing our hearts together. Yes.